Coming up, we have an epic Locked On Nets crossover event here talking with the Talking Nets crew, Keith McPherson, Robin Lundberg, uh, Hudson Flynn as well along the way. We're going to break down how do we feel about the NBA All-Star in general? How do we feel about the comments from Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant on trades in the NBA? And what are the expectations for this very new look roster over the second half of the season? We break it all down coming up next. You are locked on Nets, your daily Brooklyn Nets podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Ah, yes, my friends, it is a Locked On Nets podcast right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team, the Brooklyn Nets, every single day. I am Adam Armbrecht, also breaking down the New York football giants on the One Giant podcast with my boy Andy Mack. Not seen here is one Doug Norrie, but he's the owner-operator of DFSR for all your daily fantasy sports rankings from DraftKings to FanDuel. He's got you covered. Thanks for making us your first listen of the day. And today, as I said at the top, in order of seniority, Robin... Oh, we're going to go Hudson and then Keith McPherson. I don't know if you guys were forming a batting lineup. Robin, you're going at the top leadoff, but shouldn't you be cleaning up in some scenarios? Hey, look, man, I ain't going to be mad about going first. <laughs> you know, like, I get the, the big pop out the way and, and everybody else can follow in my wake. <laughs> if it's good enough, Hudson, uh, for Aaron Judge to be near the top of the lineup, I think it's okay for Robin as well. But how are you, sir? I'm doing well. And look, if we're all hitting solo shots then the lineup doesn't really matter, does it? For whatever reason, before um, we get to uh, someone who I have a lot of familiarity with, um, I don't know why you're the only one, Hudson, who I could not seem to get your name out accurately, correctly, and quickly at the top of the show. I don't know what that is. It flows off the tongue now, but we'll see if I can make it through this show hitting my marks. The last one up is, of course, that's it. Yeah, well, we'll, by the end of it, we'll get there. Uh, The last guy, obviously, is someone that I go back a ways with, uh, the guy that is now rocking over on WFAN, KM till AM. I listen to him late at night, and we'll hit all of the accolades for every individual uh, indi- uh, person on this panel here. But Keith McPherson, man, how you been? Double A, we back at it. Talking Nets and Locked On Nets. I'm great, man. I'm glad we could come together, do a little crossover pod during the All-Star break. This is fun. This is uh what it's all about, you know, guys that are fans of the team, talking about the team and the league. And uh, fans watching us and disagreeing with us or agreeing. And uh, I just love that the Nets world has this many creators and podcasters and fans tapped in. And it's it's grown a lot from when I first started doing it. So it's good to see. Dude, the infancy of, of Nets coverage and people being into the Brooklyn Nets has grown so much over the last handful of seasons. And I think now, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, obviously, in, in different iterations now, the talking Nets, but... You're, you're going to get the fair weathers, right? The stands are going to fall off here. We, we got plenty of messages on social saying, thanks so much for the ride. I'll be in Phoenix. I'll be in Dallas now. And it was like, <laughs> some of those, you go, I thought this guy was a diehard. Like, I thought this guy, these guys were locked in. Not so much. You don't, you don't have to sign off. That's I didn't even respond to any of those. But I'm like, why are you checking in with me? Go on your way. Goodbye. But, you, you know, it, it is interesting. I, I, I feel like you've seen the national TV games drop, and that's to be expected. But I haven't seen a, a damper in the enthusiasm from the fan base itself in, mm. in in fact quite the opposite almost the antithesis of that and you know the the gear you still see out there in the wild too so what, what I did say about the KD Kyrie era the one thing I think it accomplished is uh cementing the franchise 
in a certain way, making it a, a prominent franchise. And, and I believe the franchise is going to stay that way, even mm. with those guys gone. Yeah, and I mean, Nets fans, right? That vibe, the the 2018-2019 Nets and and the the gritty young team has always been kind of, I think, more attractive than the superstar expectations. And there were, even when we had 7-11, 13, the whole team was all built out to have stars. There were still people hearkening back to those, you know, more likable Nets, more exciting, the young Nets. And uh, now we get to, to live that out. So yeah, I think the the revitalization of a lot of those older era Nets fans that don't maybe like the superstar era has been, uh, has been interesting to watch. What do I always say? This Nets world has been built. <laughs> you That's cannot classic. dismantle. Keith is wearing the classic talking Nets merch. So, I mean, think about it, right? This Nets world t-shirt we made in 2019, 2020, when Nets world even became a, th- a thing, Landry Shamit was saying it. <laughs> I mean, uh, the NBA more than any other league, and I'm a fan of every league. I'm even a hockey fan now. Shout out to the Devils for treating me like a king at Prudential Center. Devils are a wagon this year. Who would have thought first year I watched some hockey for real? I got a good team to root for. But these leagues, the NBA is the league out of all of these leagues with the most stands, the most individuals. I guess because there's only five guys on the court at mm. a time, and the NBA is so driven by stars if you look at just what you saw in the all-star weekend how much of their personality is shown how much they do want to show these guys as individuals and not so much you know um representatives of their team this nets world has been built and what i mean by that is i've watched the nets go from new jersey actually playing over there at prudential center in newark to brooklyn hated it didn't like jay-z tried to (laughs) boycott the nets and jay-z for a year the Jay-Z albums I couldn't really do for more than like a month went back to those, but I didn't watch games. I didn't go to see the Nets until the playoffs when my wife made me go as a birthday present. And then when I saw what they were doing in Brooklyn, I'm like, oh, this is much better than Continental Airlines Arena. Give it some time. (laughs) We're in year 10 behind me, year 10. 10 years later, it doesn't matter if it's Katie Kyrie kind of holding the organization hostage. That's what it felt like, right? Like, oh, man, we've got this pressure. These guys got to win, and we've got to give them the money, and we've got to do everything they want to keep them happy while they're here. They were hired guns. Now we don't have any hired guns. Now we're getting back to the Brooklyn way, the Brooklyn grit, the culture, the vibe that was established around 2018, 2019 that attracted Katie and Kyrie here. I'm so excited to see what these guys we have do in the future, what players come in, and what's the next chapter of this Brooklyn Nets saga. And that's so much of what we're going to talk about here, because obviously All-Star Weekend just wrapped up. And that's the jumping off point, because Kevin Durant's with his new team, hasn't debuted yet. Kyrie Irving is with his new team in Dallas. He has debuted. And guess what? He does exactly what Kyrie Irving always does on the court, right? Performs at an incredible level and makes a lot of amazing shots. Ends up in the All-Star game, which he accomplished as a Brooklyn Net. But then he's there, and the Nets have nobody representing the Nets in this, uh, in this weekend at all. Before, You know what? I was going to tap into, like, how do we feel about the All-Star Weekend? We can maybe get to that. But the more interesting thing here that I think is a better conversation is the discussion around Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant's comments as it pertains to trade requests, trade demands from players, and the way it's very much becoming a part of the NBA overall. We're talking about stands and what it means for guys to be fair weather. In some ways, this does feel like the result of having player empowerment, which isn't a bad thing, 
but the net result can feel like hired guns. Hey, you come in for a couple of years. Maybe we win a chip. Maybe not. Maybe you hold us hostage, as Keith said. The results kind of become secondary to the idea of I can make moves as I see fit. I, I want to break these down a little bit quickly here. This is just a I'll read the uh, the quote first from Kevin Durant. When a player can kind of dictate where he wants to go and leave in free agency or demand a trade, it's just a part of the game now. So I don't think it's a bad thing. It's bringing more uh, more excitement, excuse me, to the game. The second one here quickly before we get into reactions is an audio clip from Kyrie Irving speaking on the trade demand and whether or not he, by the fan base, organizations or otherwise, should be judged for those choices. Uh, what's a bad situation and why doesn't anybody have the ability to ask for trades? That's what that's my question. It's just when did it become terrible to make great business decisions for yourself and your happiness and your peace of mind? Not every employer you're gonna get along with. So if you have a chance to go somewhere else and you're doing it legally, I don't I don't think there's a problem with it. Um, again, the speculation and narrative is what makes this entertainment um, kind of seem a little bit more important or more priority than it actually is. Like, it's my life. It's not just a dream that everybody can gossip about. I take it very serious, and most of the work that I do doesn't get seen. So I don't know if it ever be truly appreciated. But So when you hear that, Robin, like, what is at the high level first? Because it's coming from two different players, and I think we associate Kevin Durant, and when he speaks on something, at least for myself, whether or not I agree with him, I usually always say, oh, there's a, there's a thoughtfulness around what he's saying, whatever the topic may be. At the highest level or drill down on either one of these players, how do you feel about the perspectives they're presenting and the ability to say, yeah, I'm all set here. I'm ready to move on, regardless whether it's one year into a four-year contract or in the middle of a season having just opted in before the season started? Well, Kyrie's gaslighting everybody, right? I mean, Kyrie <laughs> opted into his own deal, right? <laughs> at the, at, he could have gotten and forced this at, at the, the summertime, and didn't, and then at the the deadline was apparently wanting a full extension. So he couldn't have been so unhappy. And it's now you know his, his last several employers who he didn't exactly get along with. The the problem here is well, one, I don't think Kyrie and KD are indicative of players typical, right? Like uh, especially Kyrie, but they're they're unique cats, both of them in, in their own way. So I, I don't say you can. Uh, take their situations and apply it to to everybody, right? I don't think it, it's quite applicable. As far as the you know demanding trade stuff, at, at some point the drama gets to be a little bit too much. Free agency, fine, you're you're through your contract, but K- Katie was on the first year of a four year extension. You know you you can't develop an attachment to a team and a group of guys if at the second there's any sort of angst or drama, you have to worry if they're going to demand a trade. And I think that's a common theme with the NBA right now. And I say this not as some hater. I'm an NBA fan my whole life. It's always been my favorite sport. It's been the sport I've defended the hardest against haters and, and anybody that would say, you know, like the whole like, oh, college, they try hard. You know, the, the NBA is such a higher level uh, than, than that. But we are getting to a point where it feels like the NBA is insulting its fans. And that comes from. The, the load management aspect where you don't know who's going to play on a given night. I like what Anthony Edwards said at, at All-Star Weekend. That comes from the All-Star game itself where nobody was even trying to play a lick of defense. It was embarrassing as somebody who's loved the All-Star game my whole life. You know, it, it's devolving. And then you, you factor in the comments from Katie and Kyrie, and that sort of represents the apathy that – 
some fans may have as far as an attachment goes to players and teams. That's kind of why I like where the Nets are right now, because they feel like the inverse of that. They feel like, okay, we can rally around this Nets team. Bridges scores 45. They ask him, how did you feel? Well, you know, I got to play defense. I just want to win. You know, I got to get it done on that end. So there is that kind of vibe that um, was missing, that felt a little soulless before. When you look in the mirror, you didn't see yourself like a vampire or something. And and now you got that reflection and you can smile because I I do think sometimes, and they got to be careful, a a, a league I love and I always will love, but they got to be careful because there is many instances where I feel like the NBA is insulting its fans now. Yeah, and the NBA is a unique situation with five players on the court most teams usually good teams only have about an eight, nine man rotation. It's, it's so driven by individual talents and the wealth of individual talent is, is so great in the NBA. It's a star driven league and it should be, and it should be because of the way that the entire sport is built. It has been building and culminating to a point where stars in the NBA are going to dictate who wins, who loses and will have all the power. And that makes sense. Right. And I am all for player empowerment, it is no mystery and no, there is no obscuring the fact that the billionaire owners that own each of these teams or govern each of these teams, whichever language to put around it, that those owners are the ones that have a different echelon, a different level of power when compared to the millionaire players, even LeBron James, a billionaire player. So the thought of NBA players taking some, you know, ownership over the power that they do have and being the fact that they are the, you know, the means of producing the entertainment for these governors. I have no issue with that. But like Robin said, you have a unique situation with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, and you have a different situation and running their clips together. uh, Sometimes I think can, can obscure that a little bit. Kyrie Irving is, he's, he's a unique person in that he, he claims to have this, this very deep and, you know, unabiding interest in wanting to be personally valued. And I understand that. And I understand the desire to be personally valued, but it reaches a point with him where the personal value is what is always what he determines it to be. And any lack of personal value by the fans, by the organization, by whomever is, is incorrect. And he is being viewed in the wrong light. And where you have Kevin Durant, a player who has, you know, always claimed like, well, basketball is what I do. First, second, third, I am a basketball player. Kyrie Irving attempts to have it both ways. He says, well, basketball is just my job. And if I'm going to birthday parties, well, people take days off of work from their jobs all the time, right? So why am I any different? But now he's made this trade and he's trying to endear a new fan base. And he's like, well, basketball is all I do. And it's and it's a clear manipulation and one that he has done time and time again and will continue to fail as he inevitably leaves Dallas in free agency. And with Kevin Durant, I agree with him to a certain extent that, you know, this is what a lot of people tune into. They tune into these crazy deadline moments where you have people changing teams and, and reshaping the landscape of the NBA. And it, it's hard not to come off as a salty Nets fan who is victim of that. But at the end of the day, it, it, it becomes a very confusing system where you have players that are signing contracts that are essentially meaningless. And with the way the luxury tax works and the way these contracts are transferable, the the contracts are not commitments to organizations. They're commitments for some owner, any owner, to pay that player that certain amount of money, right? And so it, I think we have reached a point as NBA fans where we have to start looking at things a little bit differently 
and seeing contracts not as a commitment to a team, but as a commitment for some team to play, pay those players money. And while some stars may view it differently, the reality is that the Nets had two stars who tended to view things in that particular way. In regards to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, as this is a Nets podcast, a Nets crossover podcast, and these are right. going to be mostly Nets fans and even KD and Kyrie stands watching and listening to this. As far as those guys go, their tune keeps changing. Let's let's go back. So um, Kyrie requested that trade, and he blew this whole thing up. But weeks before that, Kevin Durant was tweeting during the Philadelphia 76ers game, uh, very encouraging things. And Kyrie was leading the team. Like, this wasn't that long ago, right? <laughs> and so then Kyrie requests the trade. Kevin Durant said he, he didn't know that this was coming. Um, going back to what he was quoted by saying, he, he said it was tough to stomach. We were finally building a culture that we always wanted. I didn't know what was going on with Kyrie and his situation with the organization. Without him, we didn't have a clear identity. He also said something in that Phoenix press conference about wanting to, like, you know, keep it to basketball. And if you remember, when Kyrie initially got in a little bit of trouble for the um, anti-Semitic movie he posted, they asked KD, and KD almost got in trouble with his answer because KD had said, I wanted to keep it to basketball, and people took it the wrong way. What he right. meant was, like, Kyrie is bringing in distractions that we don't need right now. I wanted to focus on what we were doing in here. So that kept going, and I keep telling everyone, back-to-back years, you can't fault KD for being frail and getting hurt, but if he doesn't get hurt last year, I don't think it's the same issue with Harden looking at Kyrie, who's in and out of the lineup because he's the only player unvaxxed. This year, if he's still there, I don't think Kyrie – gets this like imaginary leverage in his head where I'm leading the team. I just put on a show against the Knicks. The work that I'm doing is never seen. Everybody wants to talk about what I do off the court. I'm tired of being tolerated. I'm going to press the detonate button and blow this whole thing up. Trade me if you're not going to sign me. Trade me if you're not going to give me an extension in February when the season won't end till April. And like Robin said, this guy opted into his contract. No one would have him last summer. So you had to opt in. And everybody thought it was all in for this season. So for my Nets fans that I could tell, because I read you guys stuff, and I know you're confused. And a lot of you, I think, were confused by KD's words. KD had extra weeks to prepare what he was going to say. KD has already been the snake, the cupcake, the villain. He doesn't want to be the villain again. So he said what he had to say, like, you know, I built a family over there. They did a lot for me. I was rehabbing. Save the tears, bro. You just came out and said this is for the league. You just came out and said that this is about entertainment. You just came out and said it's better when players can do this because teams have been doing this trading players and assets forever. And when we get back to the league, I am a fan of the Brooklyn Nets. But younger me, when the Nets were trash, would say I was a fan of Kobe. Oh, I'm a Kobe fan. Oh, I watch Braun. Oh, I, I like KD. I like to watch KD. Yeah, Kyrie is my guy. These are my guys. They are some of my favorite players to watch. And they know that they have stands. Kevin Durant also alluded to the fact, I got more tweets than ever when my trade went through. Well, yeah, duh, it's a trade. And your stands are going to pack up and move to Phoenix with you. But are you getting positive tweets from the Nets fans that are like, hey, we're in the middle of the season. What the hell? So Charles Barkley was quoted as saying, y'all baby these dudes so much today. They don't want to play back-to-back games, 
Every time a fan says something, they get them tossed. If they're not happy, they want to get traded. It's going to come to a head in the next CBA. I'm a baseball fan. I know how a lot of things come to a head when the collective bargaining agreement talks start. And these billionaires that you're speaking of, right, that you're trying to take power and money from, these billionaires have the power. There's a lot fewer of them than there is of y'all, and they will have the final say. Sit tight, folks. Like, whether you're a fan of a team because you grew up in the area or one player made you a fan of the team, like those goofy Bulls fans that showed up to Barkley Center to get beat last week, I'm like, these aren't Zach Levine fans. These are Michael Jordan's fans that are just still with the Bulls. Whether you're a fan of a team because you're you're a fan in the area or maybe there are some Nets fans now that Katie and Kyrie brought here, stay tuned. I would say pick a team, pick a franchise, and stick with them because these players now, they are going to hop and jump from team to team for contracts, for extensions, and for the best chance in theory to win a championship. Since the first day that Keith Van Horn pulled up those thigh-high socks, and well, well before then, I've been a Brooklyn Nets fan, New Jersey Nets fan, right? I think so. It's funny because coming up in a second, we're into some more of this player stuff. It is interesting to me. I, I agree with I agree with everybody, and I think you guys are relatively on the same page around these things. It's funny that just to add into Keith there. Remember, opted in, and then after Kevin Durant made his trade request in the summer, Kyrie came out and did say whether Kevin Durant's here or not. I want to be here long term, and I want to build around it. So there is this weird. There's a lot of stories that can be told. I think the one interesting thing that I haven't seen as much of from the fan base, and I still ones that are diehard Brooklyn Nets fans and have been here since New Jersey, they still do come out with it. The responsibility or blame that falls onto the organization. What mistakes did they make along the way in this? I usually compartmentalize it into. I can talk about Sean Marks and how he put this franchise in a great position to land these superstars. And then I can talk about the misses, whether in free agency or otherwise, buyout market, decisions that he could have made, trading for Harden, all those things. Like you can you can compartmentalize two different aspects of an organization and say there's what the team did, there's what the players did, and then there's what happens together. And there does seem to be a unique disconnect from this idea that Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving were so tied at the hip to one another, and yet a lot of examples of times where they didn't seemingly know what the other one was going to do. Keith, before we move on, what's up? It's all nonsense. It's all nonsense. Kyrie's the same one that told you I grew up rooting for the Nets. I want to be here. Well, that's everybody's life. That's every every player that goes to any franchise, right? That they from the area. What happened to that? I mean, Kyrie's Kyrie every time Kyrie got announced at their arena, it was Kyrie Irving, Duke University by way of West Orange, New Jersey. Kyrie's home. Yeah. Kyrie's home. Of course. Kyrie's home. We like and don't you want don't you want to like if this had all gone right, if this had all gone correctly, you'd love to hang your hat on that, as cliche as it may be, right? The home, the player from our home state, like you'd love to be able to hang your hat on that if it but worked this out. this didn't go correctly right. because that player was a consistent <laughs> headache and forced right. the organization's hand yeah, yeah. so many times. Yeah. He didn't show up half the time, and he brought hella distractions in. We I can't mean, give right. you four years, $200 million after Supposedly, the though, years. like the point of being the, oh, I'm the hometown kid, is about making sacrifices for the franchise, right? Is about putting the franchise above yourself Kyrie? because you were a fan first. Kyrie is That's above Kyrie all of that. Mm-mm. Yeah. Kyrie's smarter than all of us. You know that. Uh, you know, look, uh, Kyrie, who wouldn't want to root for Kyrie, the basketball player? It's unbelievable. You know, I, I, you, I wish he was my favorite player. It's just not possible. And by the way, that was always our compartmentalization, Doug and I, when we talk about it on the show. It's Kyrie Irving, the basketball player? Yeah. 
Yeah, eight days a week. I only I only want to see Kyrie Irving play basketball. He's one of the best players. When you watch him do things on the court, it makes you lose your mind about how good he is. And I do think all the other stuff is again, it's always what waters down how what a good player is. And one of the funny things is like, um, I heard people when you did these by the way, things that like Doug and I don't love top, top lists, top 25, top 10, whatever it is. When people put those lists together and Kyrie Irving gets put somewhere near the fifties, as opposed to near the top twenties, it's, it's, it's about everything else, not basketball related. And I'm not saying that's not justified, but that's the impact that his non-basketball career, his non-basketball life has had on the perception of what he is as a pure basketball player. And that includes availability and what your team's actually accomplished when you're a part of them. Well, I think he's been the root, you know, at the root of every issue that we're talking about. And you, oh, yeah. You, you <laughs> discuss management. Look, KD deserves some blame for that too because KD came here in large part, it seemed like, you know, Kyrie was the guy. I, I read recently that the Nets were interested in Jimmy Butler to pair with, with KD. Imagine if that had taken place. I, I think the whole tune is, is different. They make the Harden trade, and then, um, you know, Katie was on board with the Harden trade. That didn't turn out to be a good trade in retrospect. Then when Harden gets upset, it seemed like Katie once again had Kyrie's back, who wasn't here, and, and Harden gets traded again. Another bad trade in retrospect. And then this year, when Kyrie says he wants out, Katie wants out a day later. So, I, I, you know, Katie's a great player, and and – Different than than Kyrie in the sense that you're not looking at him and saying, you know, he, 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 I think um, Keith put it, the the detonate button. He didn't press that, but he wasn't around to to pick up the the debris either. Once things (laughs) things went bad, he he went bad with them. Well, that would be like, right, things are about to explode. And you go, well, if it's all the same to you, I'm going to head to another bunker. If if we're all, if we're all just feeling like we want to get to a safe place. Coming up in a second here, um, let's, we'll move on from two players that are no longer Brooklyn Nets. We'll talk about all the guys that came in there, obviously, via the trades with Dallas and with Phoenix, and talk about where this team goes forward, including some current members like Nicholas Claxton, like Cam. The So the Brooklyn Nets, and this is, I, I will say, Doug and I, like it was a pretty conscious choice. We knew we're going to cover the trades, we're going to cover what they got back, and then every, all of the attention is going to turn to, what is this team now? How, how do they form the rotations? How do you get minutes for guys? Some of those things are kind of resolving themselves, even in those first four games. Three with the players from Phoenix, four including uh, Dorian Finney-Smith and obviously Spencer Dinwiddie. Robin, when we look at those guys that they got back, um, brass tacks it. The trade that happens with Dallas technically is maybe before the organization knows they're going to have to trade Kevin Durant as well. Do you think, like a Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, are they here are they here for the pseudo rebuilding process? Or is this a talk to me in the offseason? Mikhail Bridges, Cam Johnson, those are the real pieces here. Obviously, Bridges under contract. Cam Johnson, they'll be able to match him. There's already been speculation around what Phoenix wasn't willing to go to for him in a contract. How do you look at these new players that were brought in? Yeah, I think you nailed it. Um, I think that's right on the head. Uh, the, look, I'm not, I'm not saying they're gone. Uh, Dinwiddie and, and uh, DFS. I, I don't think they're gone. They're you know good players. They're they're parts of the 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 core right now. But I, I do think that trade was made with KD in mind, and and I don't think those guys are here no matter what. If the right offers pop up in the off season, mm-hmm. especially with the glut of wing players that they have, depending on what happens with with Cam Thomas's development, we'll get to that. But of all the trades that the the Nets have made, Quiet has kept. I think the KD one's the best one. You know. They get the the draft picks replenished. 
That's one thing. But it wasn't just about the draft picks being replenished. A lot of energy was spent around that after they, they made the trade. Oh, it's a rebuild. It's a rebuild. They got pieces back, too. They got pieces back. Cam Johnson is a guy who I don't think has hit his ceiling. He's a do-it-all kind of player. The, the, the last, I, I think, piece to elevate him another level is, is his ability to break you down and, and mm-hmm. create for himself a little bit. Yeah, as, yeah, as far as fitting in with everybody else, he's already there. He's relatively young. He seems to be getting better and better. I, I see him as a, a highly valued, valued player around the league and, and internally as well. So I'd be surprised if the Nets don't sign him to a contract this offseason and look at him as one of their core, core pieces. And then, of course, there's Mikael Bridges. And I'm not so sure. You know, I saw the reporting that Bridges wasn't in the offer in the summer. Mm-hmm. I'm not so sure Sean Marks didn't have his eye on him the whole time. And as soon as he was included – that's when he pressed, you know, all right, let's go and, and let's do it because. So you think that, so then you think that, that that summer discussion around, hey, Kevin, we'll move you if we can find the right deal, specifically with Phoenix being the one. It was already reported, didn't want Aiton back. And it was really, hey, if the right package, there actually was guys there, just couldn't get that owner, obviously new ownership now to commit. Yeah, that they, they started the negotiation, right? And what do you see with new ownership? They want to make a splashy move. So Ishbia comes in, all of a sudden KD's traded. And and I took I took a lot of uh faith in the, the fact that Suns fans were devastated to lose yes. Bridges. You know, <laughs> my favorite part of trades. When yeah. that other fan base is devastated, you know, we've done something right. Yeah, they, they, the guy coming back in. And, I, you know, I've, I've watched the Suns in the playoffs and everything, and Bridges was always a good player. You could always see that. But I kind of slept on his potential a little bit because he played off ball so much. This year he started playing on ball a little bit more when, when um, Devin Booker was out. I think he averaged 23 points a game over that stretch. And when you watch him, since he's come over to the Nets, it's not like these are fluky things. You know, he's hitting those pull-up jump shots, like off the bounce, boom. He's operating out of the pick and roll as a ball handler, creating for himself and others. We knew he moved without the ball. We know he can spot up, shoot the three. We know he can defend. You know, there's a little bit of the KD in him when you see him rise up. There's a little bit of Kawhi Leonard in him when you see him rise up. And you don't want to go too far, but when you get – his level of commitment and the, the head that he seems to have on his shoulders and the increased opportunity that he seems prepared for, I, I do believe that the Nets may have landed their guy, you know, or at least one of their their two guys that going forward. Hudson, if do I, you think that, that um, in your response, do you think that Mikhail Bridges has the next level to get to, right? Because when you look at NBA players in general, 26, which is what Bridges is, it's what Johnson is, you usually, you scratch the next level of the surface. Now, there's a difference between playing with other superstars. It's funny you bring up um, before there about Jimmy Butler. Like, he's a guy that, he was like 24, 25 by the time, you know, he had one season playing 35-plus minutes and not really looking terribly productive. Always had the defense, didn't have the other side. Do you think that Bridges can be the guy that kind of sees this, this next level here? We're not expecting 45 points a game, but that's something different beyond what we saw in Phoenix. I think he can be, and I think m- probably more than anything, I think Sean Marks believes that he will be and mm-hmm. that he believes that he has the pedigree to make him that. You have to remember with Sean Marks, Sean Marks overlapped for three years with Kawhi Leonard in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. And I see a lot of Kawhi Leonard, and maybe that's an over-optimistic comparison in Mikhail Bridges' game. And I think that if you are looking at a player that Sean Marks has had his eye on and wants to have, I think he fills every single box and then some, right? 
I compare that to a player like Cam Thomas, lots of potential, but maybe doesn't fill all those boxes. I think he's a Sean Marks guy. And I think that he is the highest capability, the highest ability player that Sean Marks has ever had fit his exact mold uh, of what he wants from a star. I don't think Mikhail Bridges is going anywhere anytime soon because I think the Nets have landed a guy that they believe, at least under this current administration, is that guy for them. And I think they have the pieces to surround him with talent and to get him potentially another star. But when you're at these players that have made this jump, it has been when they have gone from, you know, super teams. And, and I feel comfortable saying that the, the Suns before uh, landing Kevin Durant were a bit of a super team. It's when they go from that level and that caliber where they are not the primary ball handler. I mean, what was he option three? Uh, to becoming that primary option. And he has never had an outburst like he had for the, with 45 points for the Nets. He never had that with the Suns because he never had the opportunity. And now he's going to have that opportunity. He's going to have it and then some. And when you look at the net, this Nets roster as a whole, the Nets have what I consider to be gold dust in the NBA. They have every single wing player that every single contender wants. They have, I mean, there's a reason Mikael Bridges was being offered up you know, four firsts was being attached to his name. Dorian Finney-Smith, two firsts. The Nets spent a first on Royce O'Neal. They're prob- they could have probably have gotten that back and then some uh, at the trade deadline. They have a ton, a ton, a ton of pieces. And I think they are going to commit themselves to building around their crown jewel of this new era of the Brooklyn Nets. And I think that's Mikael Bridges being completely honest, especially from an organizational perspective. Yeah, it's interesting, Keith, just um, in the idea of uh, mentioning there. Hudson around uh, the pass-through possibility, going to Memphis for first-round picks. Because one of the things I always thought about with the Kevin Durant trade, you have to think, you have to look at it in totality. Now, whether or not they keep Bridges, and that's what his value is in the league, or that they end up moving Bridges and get multiple more draft picks. By the way, the old Rudy Gobert trade comp, it was never going to match up. Like, everyone thought that that was going to seismically shift what trades look like at the NBA level. And the reality was everyone looked at it and said, it's not our fault that they went and did that. We need to be able to reset expectations. Um, so I'll be curious, do you, are you in agreement with, uh, with obviously Robin with Hudson here in regards to Mikhail Bridges and maybe Cam, Cam Johnson to me is the intriguing piece as a secondary player that comes in here, but I look at it on the one-to-one of what the Nets have had and look at Joe Harris and go, well, what is Cam Johnson? He's obviously younger, but he's obviously a, be- a far better defender. We don't even make the statement there, but he's also more athletic. So it means that like the two-way upside of that player, I think this is a reality that Sean Marks also saw. The writing on the wall of these somewhat one-dimensional players can be absolutely incredible on championship-level teams, but then become a bit of an issue when you're going to bring down your ceiling talent level and start to operate with the sum of our parts. The biggest thing for me with Mikael Bridges is his availability. I think the first time we played the Suns, they flashed how many games he had played in a row. And then when he got traded, his streak ended at 365 games in a row. I think that's huge for the Brooklyn Nets or any NBA team, especially in this load managing era, especially when now you've introduced Nets fans to star power and he's the rising star. The Phoenix Suns fans feel some kind of way because they're going to see him reach his potential with us that he could not necessarily reach there. He showed flashes there but he never had a 45 point game until now and so I don't think the Nets move on from him I think they build around from uh, they build around him so much so that they build around him and his twin Cam Cam Johnson they call each other twins they went with numbers one and two thing one and thing two 
as their jersey numbers for the Brooklyn Nets. I think this all-star break is so important for this team. Please yeah. don't, don't forget where they are in the standings. Please don't forget that these guys, like, I listened to Brooklyn Nets radio. Shout out to Capper and Carino. They had Cam Johnson on after the last game. He said he was getting out of there to go back to Phoenix to get his dog Halo. That's his baby. He, he, he hasn't been back home to see his dog. Maybe he'll be better when he brings his dog back to Brooklyn or whatever it is. Like, I am excited to see what this next version of the Nets is because the cupboard is not barren. I've used that term so much in the last two weeks, and that's not in my regular lingo or vernacular. But when you think about where the Nets were after the Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, that whole saga, everybody said the cupboard is barren. They're going to be doomed for 10, 10 years. And then Sean Marks came in in 2016. They're not starting over from scratch. They are the fifth seed. They have talented guys, and they listened to KD when he said these two things. It's a wings lead league. Okay, we need wings. Let's load up on wings. Royce O'Neal came over. Dorian Finney-Smith. We got Cam Johnson. We got Mikael Britt. We got too many guys now. Also, it's a make or miss league. We've got a ton of shooters. So this team's identity is 3 and D. They got a bunch of guys that can shoot the three and long guys that can play defense. Pause. This team can compete. Now, I'm not saying they're going to win a championship, but I also don't like everyone else saying, oh, well, Brooklyn's not going to win anything. They're not going to win a championship. You don't know what's going to happen. Someone gets hurt in the finals. Someone gets hurt in the playoffs. We know that every year. We don't know what this team can do. All they have to do to be better than last year's team is, one, not be a play-in team. Just be a playoff team. Don't go into the play-in. If you end up in the play-in, two, survive the plan and don't get swept in the playoffs and you're already better than last year's team with Katie and Kyrie. That's what I'm looking forward to seeing this group do. And lastly, I don't know how it's going to happen, but Jacques Vaughn said they're going to get to the point where they shrink the rotation down to being eight or nine guys by the playoffs. Somebody's going to be the odd man out. I feel like it can't be Ben Simmons because of where we are with Nick Claxton and Dayron Sharp and the five. But when you look at Seth Curry, who just came back in that first game, and then you look at Joe Harris, Joe Harris played a little bit better right after the trade. Like somebody's going to have to sit down. Someone's going to be out of this rotation between a Ben, uh, a Joe Harris, a Seth Curry. Jacques Vaughn, it's on you. Seth didn't play in that second half. Yeah, two things. Probably sets the odd man out. Two things quick to button up the conversation that we were were just having. Remember, the Nets can't tank. You know, because of the the Houston trade. The Nets yeah. can't tank. So this idea that they're just going to sell everything for draft picks, I, I just don't think is realistic, um, especially given the talent that they have. And you mentioned the uh, Rudy Gobert trade. The KD trade's better than the Rudy Gobert trade. The Rudy Gobert trade didn't have any players in it. Right. Cam, jo- Cam Johnson is better than every player in the Rudy Gobert trade, not to mention Mikhail Bridges. So, you know, uh, there was a lot of draft picks in that trade, but the Nets got those draft picks and, and legitimate players. So, I don't want to look at this like it was some failure in comparison to the Rudy Gobert trade because I think it was actually significantly better than the yeah, Rudy even Gobert if we trade. even if we speculate the Nets are going to blow this thing up down the road, just the association of okay, there's another six draft picks between those two players, probably more, but like even at a minimum, okay, that's ten. That's ten draft picks of capital that you have moving forward. So um, I, I want to get into those rotations there and what Keith just mentioned though about Ben Simmons because I, I actually. We 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 did been debating this. Doug did a whole episode breaking down why it's been bad for Ben Simmons, and that's not hard to do, even which is the eye test. Just really quick here before we dive into that. Later on, at some point, someone will tell me what happened to Ben Simmons. It's probably physical. That's my assumption. But the bottom line is, I think it's really hard for Ben Simmons to figure it out if we isolate it as being physical. 
he's not going to figure it out in real time. Because I, I think to me, uh, the biggest thing you're looking at with this roster is saying, if you can't do the things offensively that Nick Claxton does, being a facilitator isn't good enough. Being a lockdown defender on this new look roster is borderline not good enough because we have so many other guys that can defend now. Keith, you said that you're going to find it hard for him to be out of the rotation. The one thing I think we saw here as we looked at the way the minutes broke down, even in that last game, I actually think that that's like indicative of where this rotation goes. Royce O'Neal can do a little bit on ball. He has the defense. He has the perimeter shot. Curry, uh, probably close to odd man out for size, deficiency, but you do need some ball handling. And then I want to talk about Cam Thomas too here. But the 20 minutes from Ben Simmons, I made the absolute error, Robin, of five minutes into that game when he had two points, two rebounds, and two assists. I said, you extrapolate that out over 20 minutes, boys. We've got ourselves a stat line here. And it turned out he didn't crest over those two points over those 20 minutes. What do you think about Ben Simmons? My opinion actually is the pressure's off the organization. You can go ahead and sit him down. Say, get right physically. You actually don't have to be a key piece to what we do over the remainder of the season. Yeah, look, I mean, there's plenty of uh, reason to want to just sit him down completely. I I think the idea of him becoming a star player, at least now, is out the window, if not out the window forever. Yeah. Um, Here's the thing, though. Nobody's expecting that anymore, right? Like, he's such a devalued asset that anything you can do to up the value is a positive. And when you look at the roster, the the most natural hole is a backup big. Mm -hmm. So... If Ben Simmons is now going to play this role of backup big, all he's kind of got to do is be serviceable. <laughs> you know, like we're, we're not expecting more than that. So I'm, I'm willing to give that a shot rather than just putting him on the pine completely simply mm-hmm. because it is a, an area of need and it's an opportunity to re- rehabilitate him a little bit, maybe give, get him a little bit of confidence because you're, you're right. It's got to be partly, partially physical, at least with the back. You don't see the bunnies. You don't see that explosiveness. And then I think it's partially mental where he's got some sort of confidence issues going on, some lack of will going on. But we're not sitting here thinking, oh, we need this from Ben Simmons. Now we're thinking of Ben Simmons, backup big role player, 12 to 20 minutes a night, 20 minutes on the max end, right? Like, so I, I don't mind that if it's in lieu of Dayron Sharp, right? So that that's where I think you give Ben Simmons the chance, and, and that does make some sense. And I agree. I agree that you don't. You're not going to put him on the bench completely. And a few weeks ago, when we talked about it, I said at some point you just have to change your perception. Stop looking at the money. Stop looking at what he once was, and just think about what he is. He's a, he's a rebounding big that can defend versus uh, you know with versatility on the defensive end. Hudson, you know when Robin brings up Dayron Sharp, who I don't think is the answer to necessarily a lot of problems you may have, but is Ben Simmons right now in this moment? a better offensive rebound, disruptive guy in the paint than whatever Dayron Sharp is. And I'm not advocating for Dayron Sharp to be getting 20 minutes a night either, but I can advocate for the world where the backup five minutes should kind of be a grab. Should be a little grab bag. You reach in, some nights you pull out a Dayron Sharp, some nights you put out Ben Simmons. Uh, I don't see any way in which Ben Simmons, uh, Ben Simmons as of, let's call it last five games, Ben Simmons, because let's be frank, there's been a decline. Uh, from whatever he's built himself up to be before that to this uh, this so far in this season. He is not a better player than Daron Sharp. They both look pretty bad, quite frankly. I mean, I was <laughs> right, I was I was I was watching I was watching the Knicks game and they were both clear liabilities. If there are individual players you can put blame on for that terrible loss, uh, Ben Simmons and Daron Sharp are individuals that could be blamed. 
for me, I think, and, and I am, and I will say proudly that I'm an advocate for shutting him down because if he really is hurt, if he really is hurt. If this is a back issue, if this is a leg issue, if it's a left eyelash issue, whatever it might be, then what is the value in, in playing him? I watch him night in and night out consistently be unable or unwilling to jump and to play that role. If he is going to be a backup big, if his, if his job is to be a backup big, he has to sky for rebounds. And if he's unable to sky for rebounds, then what are you getting out of him as a backup big? If he can't shuffle his feet and move quickly enough to guard one through five, like he is supposed to be able to do. And we have seen him do at points this season. Then what value do you get out of him? If he can't make that diagonal pass as once again, he couldn't in the Knicks game, the major turning point when he threw a, a diagonal pass, it got picked off by Josh Hart. Josh Hart goes trend slam. He didn't. And Ben Simmons doesn't slide to play any defense on that play. What value are you getting with playing him? 12 to 20 minutes and 20 minutes at a max, if that is what we are going to have to do. And that's what the organization views that they have to do with him for him to not depreciate even further. I'm fine with that, but you can't be under the, the assumption that you can play him in that role and expect to get many, if any positives out of it. Because one thing that you do get out of a day sharp is that there is a clear desire to make an impact. I don't, I think he, Daron Sharp tends to be the bull in the China shop that doesn't really know how to make an impact. He turns the ball over. He sometimes he jumps too high. He has to like reach down for rebounds. Very weird player. But he, there is a, a desire to make an impact there. And if Daron Sharp gets the ball in his hands, he has a clear desire to want to do something with it. And I can't get over the fact, whether it's mental or physical or whatever, that Ben Simmons clearly has a lack of desire to want to make a positive impact with the ball in his hands. And I will just echo what's a, far greater basketball mind than I will ever be said in Jacques Vaughn and say that what do you do with Ben Simmons if he can't figure it out I certainly can't either if you can't play him next to another big and you can't play him with the ball in his hands how can you play him and so I will just defer to Jacques Vaughn who I consider to be a basketball savant out of all of this nonsense that Nets fans have had to go through through this 7-11 Katie Kyrie era like you literally have three top 75 players Kyrie's left out because uh, he's ridiculous. But you have James Harden come in to join KD and Kyrie, and after it's all said and done, you're left with Ben Simmons. Like, that's what I'm more mad about with the organization than not extending Kyrie, than not trying. You know what I'm saying? Like, that was pretty dumb. You were the only organization willing to take this guy on, and now, you know, I never wanted that move. The Harden trade, I think Hudson and I both were like, yeah, if you can get Harden, get Harden. Um, but w- trading Harden again after you gave up guys that we loved, like, to end up with Ben Simmons here, where essentially I'm rooting for Dayron Sharp. He's our guy. We drafted right. him. He's in year two. And in that Bulls game, they started him because Nick Claxton, and shout out to Clax, but I feel like Clax was um, a little down because Kyrie and KD got traded and he needed some rest. He, he needed an emotional support day. Dayron started that day against the Bulls. I was at that game. Man, Keith, he, you turned a, you turn a corner, man. Was, gee, now you're attacking <laughs> poor Nick Claxton. Yeah, because I just can see through. I've been watching this team. <laughs> I can see through the nonsense, right? And I know. like, I even blame Ben Simmons a little bit for Kyrie because Kyrie, he let us know, right? Ben Simmons got scratched in the eyelash. I forget who it was against, and he checked out oh, of the yeah. game. Yeah, It was the game that like Cam Thomas ended up I think it was a Wizards game. Like Cam Thomas ended up going for 40 that first time, and the Nets won with eight players left. Seth comes out of the game. Markeith Morris comes out of the game. Ben Simmons at that time went out with an eyelash from what we saw, but then even Jacques Vaughn post games like, 
Ben has knee soreness. I don't know what to tell you. And then how does that turn into a back injury where he's pedaling in Madison Square Garden a week or two after and misses five games? I just I, I can read between the lines. So what I'm saying here, so I don't take forever in saying this, is I'm rooting for Dayron Sharp because the Nets did not get a backup big during the trade deadline. They had to focus on removing Katie and Kyrie and ending this era. So now you're stuck with a Nick Claxton who I feel was good friends with James Harden, Kyrie, and Katie, and is feeling some some type of way that he's left here without them. I, I like watch how he responds after this uh, All Star break. He was having the best start to a season since we've seen him, and this whole thing gets blown up. I hopefully hopefully he's got his head together. But now you've got, you're relying on Nick Claxton, and you you have Dayron Sharp who's not there yet, but he he's shown you he's been all right, and we need him to take another step. Because, yeah, we'll be forced to play Ben Simmons. And I think it's coming from the top to play Ben Simmons Mm. because of the name, because of the contract. I don't know what other reason you keep running him out there. He's got no bag. I can score from two feet away from the basket. He cannot. He he doesn't even have like a simple. He can he can foul. He can foul while setting screens. He can do that. Well, that, by the way, Robin, he, he can issue. shuffle his feet. He can if, shuffle his feet. if we're planning on this team actually getting into the playoffs and doing something, you can't play him. You can't play him late in games. He's going to foul, he'll out foul game. himself on purpose. He'll foul himself out on purpose. Because so in, all of the, in all of these things, which are all valid talking points, the thing that we always went back to is like, it's, it's the screen setting at the top of the key. The thing where somehow he commits a foul there, or I pointed this out. It was only a couple of games before the break. He got the ball at the top of the key. His back is to the basket. He makes a 180-degree pivot with nobody on him and then just waits and gives up the dribble and waits for someone to come to it, waits to distribute. And that's the mentality piece of it. There's the physical side of it, and then just the mentality, just the basketball functionality of him where it was, there's nobody there. Even just dribbling into the paint makes a difference to what defenses have to do. But I, I knew. I knew that Ben Simmons would get us riled up here. Keith, anything that you want to close out on that before we get to? The last thing I do want to touch on is because um, you mentioned Dayron Sharp. Doug knows people who listen to Locked On know like I am a homegrown homer. Mm-hmm. I get like I, I'll always dream on what guys can be. I also like an underdog story, like a Utawata Nabe. I'm I'm sad that he's not getting minutes anymore. But Cam Thomas is that other guy that I want. I want to get everyone's opinion on. I fully believe that. Kyrie, as he was leading the team, as he was, you know, closing out the fourth quarter, as he was talking about the work that he's put in that people don't see. I think behind the scenes, he's seeing a Ben Simmons who does nothing but show up in Gucci, Louis, Fendi, Prada like he's some type of model. He does nothing besides go out in Soho and have paparazzi chasing him down because he's with the next hottest model. Like, I think Kyrie is looking at this guy like, hey, (laughs) I'm I'm leading the right way and I'm not taking up for Kyrie. But like there's always somebody to point at to say, hey, what about him? And I feel like Harden pointed at Kyrie last year. Hey, what about him? I am not being treated the right way. This is the player empowerment movement. What about me? And yeah, Ben Simmons probably shows up. He doesn't do much and he's getting his minutes and he's getting his money and he's he's being the man he wants to be in New York. But Kyrie's the most like, empowered man, player in the NBA. Yeah, he's like, I'm I'm playing. I'm showing up and practicing. I'm leading these guys. I'm buying into Jacques Vaughn. Where's my extension? Kyrie, we can't give you the extension. You offended our Jewish community that comes to the games. All right, then I'm out. And, and by the way, and it is, I, I do think, like, that's a great way to encapsulate it. Like, there was always something else for someone to point to. And Ben Simmons, because he has years on his contract, because the money is big, 
it's pretty easy for him to become a lightning rod, whether it's for the fan base or for a Kyrie Irving, for a Kevin Durant, who was reported as saying, like, getting a little frustrated with Ben Simmons right now, whether it is physical, he can't play, can play, doesn't want to play. Um, if we want to talk organizationally, the idea that you could have passed him through potentially to the Kings at the time of the James Harden trade, that's one that I could certainly look there and say, put that at the feet of Sean Marks. Although in theory, you were dreaming on the version of Ben Simmons that helps get this team uh, across the line. Robin, um, we're going to turn over to Cam Thomas, but feel free to add in any closing thoughts on Ben no, Simmons. I'm just laughing at the Kyrie thing. Like, I've been on my best behavior for three weeks and led us to three games under 500 without Katie. You know? And that's exactly how Kyrie <laughs> thinks. Hey, is this not long enough? Have I not been good enough for long enough? I, I was punished. I came back and you didn't give me the 200 million yet. What's going on? <laughs> I will say the one because we didn't even bother talking about it on the podcast, but the first couple of press conferences and addressing the media with Dallas, when you're no longer covering Kyrie Irving on the Brooklyn Nets, it was because I was at Doug asked me, he's like, how do you feel after the Kyrie trade? I said, relieved because it just means it's not a thing anymore. Like, I don't have to discuss what Kyrie Irving is saying or not saying or what he's going to do or not do. That's for the Dallas Mavericks. And now I get to talk about these other players, all of which, by the way, the incoming have all been guys. Um, I talked to Nick Angstad from Locked On Mavs. It was didn't want to give up Spencer Dinwiddie for what he meant to that team. And then from the old just like good guy category that everybody loves, it was Dorian Finney-Smith. Likewise with Bridges and Cam Johnson. It's like, and I know these are things that like, hey, if you're not winning basketball games, this stuff doesn't matter as much. But I do really like having likable players. Like I like having guys that have developed over so many years and that weren't instant superstars, because I think it does build in a little bit of, you know, humbleness to, to their game and to the way they talk about things. That can change quickly, um, but it's something that I do like. One guy that's maybe humble, probably not so humble, and probably is looking for his opportunity is Cam Thomas. Three games, over 40 points, Robin. You know, it, we, we saw this little thing, and before the Kevin Durant trade, it was, well, maybe Cam Thomas can be the guy that steps up here in a big way and still makes this viable for Kevin Durant. What do you think is going on when it comes to Cam Thomas? Because we've kind of defaulted to, Jacques Vaughn had said, going back a month or two, there's certain things beyond basketball that we want to see from players. How are you practicing? How do you show up in film rooms? You know, are you, are you buying into the game plan? Are you executing the game plan? It didn't say it directly saying Cam is not doing these things, but it seems to be there is a developmental nature to what they want to accomplish with him. He's always been able to score. He's shown he can now knock down the perimeter shot with consistency. That really matters. There's other phases to his game. He's improved. But is there a clear-cut reason to you why he automatically hasn't been a key part of what they want to do here after these trades? Yeah, it's odd. It, it, there's got to be something behind the scenes where you're now working on a couple of coaches where it's been the same thing. Uh, I hope he's not being punished for his post-game little spat. He apologized for that. He got fined 40 thousand dollars for that look I, I wasn't um upset when cam wasn't playing when they had the stars because cam struggled to fit in he just did you know the the summer league thing was different but he didn't know how to blend but now that you're in a different iteration of this team and a different era we've seen enough from cam thomas to realize he needs to be taken seriously i i do yeah. think he's improved as you know he's passing the ball a little bit more uh, making it zip a little bit more. He, he's got the, the doubles and the triples running at him. He's getting the ball out of his hands. I think he's trying a little bit more on defense, baby steps perhaps, because, yeah, you had the post-game press conference that everybody pointed to, and maybe that was a little bit of an insight into some of what's going on behind the scenes. But bottom line, whether he's starting or the first guy off the bench, I think you need 25 to 30 minutes a night out of Cam Thomas. You know, he scored 40-plus points. You mentioned it in three straight NBA games. That's not an accident. 
He was given Kawhi Leonard and Paul George the business. He was given Miami, the Miami Heat the business the other night. He provides something the Nets currently lack, which is isolation scoring, particularly in the backcourt. You know, Dinwiddie's the only other guy that can even come close to doing that, but Cam is more gifted in that regard than anybody on the team. He's got potential to keep going in that regard. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I know he scores a lot of points when he plays. You know, <laughs> whatever. It's got to be yeah, and I, yeah, I was going to say, if I could cut in here, I actually do have the exact numbers pulled because this is my okay. like niche stat, Excuse is me. that Cam Thomas, when he plays more between 20 and 29 minutes, he averages, and this is a little out of date with the Heat game, 18 points on 50% shooting uh, and 30, 44% from the three. Like, so he doesn't need 35 than, minutes a night. Is, so is the difference then, because to me, if you think about it pre and then post, so when you have Kyrie Irving, it's that we, we've, got, we've got the structure in place here. We know what winning basketball looks like for us, and you can incrementally develop. Now in the post-superstar era for this team, I, I can look at it and say one of two things. There's something behind the scenes, which maybe feels pretty likely. And the other thing is we don't have the pure point guard, even with, even with Spencer Dinwiddie now, where you can say, how do we put the ball in someone ha- someone's hands that will set up and also mitigate the things you don't want Cam Thomas to do too much of? In that last game, I actually thought it was a good structure. Hey, bring him in and let him cook for five to six minutes and then pull back. Show up at the end of the second quarter, maybe to kick off the third, pick your spots. And with a very specific mentality of run, go do it. Cause we can't, we can't start asking you to be the full player that we think maybe you can be down the road in this moment right now. But you couldn't play him next to Kyrie, right? Defensively. And, and you, no. really, you can't play him next to Seth or, or Patty defensively, but they've got enough wings where I think you can get away with playing him. So I think it's threefold. One, you got to develop him. Uh, two, he can help you with his skill set. And then three, whether it's to make him part of the foundation going forward, or I think you mentioned this before we even started recording, or the foundation of a trade for the the next guy that you want to bring in, you know, you have to have his value at an all-time high. But I I think there's there's a sweet spot to hit in that 25 to 30-minute range, and I, I think his talent is too great for him to be the last guy off the bench with some of these other guys that that are coming in before. Hudson, do you look at that um, as as being the case? Obviously, like I think we talked about 25 minutes is kind of where we settled on it. Like there's no excuse not to be playing him around uh, that much on a game-to-game basis. But I think, you know, you look at the draft capital and then being able to move the needle on who's the other player that you want to bring in with Mikhail Bridges and with Cam Johnson, and Thomas can be a part of that. If we think that his draft value lives somewhere maybe as being, hey, get a couple first-round picks for this guy, a first and a couple of seconds, like wherever you dream on it, there is an asset value associated with him, or, or would you expect or want to see him as being one of those cornerstone pieces? Well, when you look at Cam Thomas, you have lightning in a bottle from a lot of perspectives, right? Obviously, you can see what he does in the basketball court, and you're right. From a trade perspective, he does have a lot of value. I don't, me personally, I don't like draft picks as an asset. I like them to be moved as an asset, but when you are a winning team, and this is, uh, I believe, a very old Stephen A. Smith quote talking about Kwame Brown, when you have draft picks and you're a winning team, trading them away is not that big of a loss of value. And I know the Nets can tend to be the antithesis of that idea from the Celtics trade all the way up to the James Harden trade. But Cam Thomas is a crazy, crazy valuable asset that the Nets have. If you are dropping 40 points in three consecutive regular season, mid season NBA games and are 21 years old, 
on a rookie contract, you are a comically valuable asset. And if it comes down to the Nets this summer or at the draft or whenever, looking at, okay, well, we can make a trade for X star. I'm not going to even throw a name out there. And Cam Thomas is what pushes the Nets over that, you know, that hump to get a star next to Mikhail Bridges, someone who they think would work. And we can go right back into NBA contender, NBA championship contender, and we can make that jump. You always make that trade because at the end of the day, Cam Thomas is a, is a very valuable future asset, but not as valuable as a Nets team that can go into win now mode. And we saw that with the James Harden trade and maybe it wouldn't work. It wouldn't work this time yet again, but who knows? And I'm fine with making that move. But for as long as you have Cam Thomas, putting him on the bench is making him a depreciating asset. He is at his most valuable when he is scoring a lot of points and when he is growing in a lot of phases of his game. And I think that's something that a lot of Nets fans miss. And I think uh, we've missed it on this podcast. Cam Thomas, since he has gotten increased minutes, has shown an absolute ability to be able to facilitate. When his step back isn't isn't there and he is covered and he has not made that space that he needs to make, he has shown an ability to pass. He's averaging something like four assists when he gets extended minutes. And that's good. And that's good development and it's good growth. And for a player like him who clearly has some things he needs to work on behind the scenes, it is good to be able to see that growth. And if Cam Thomas's future is with the Nets, and I would like it to be because I love, I love a homegrown star as everyone in Brooklyn does. If his future is on the Brooklyn Nets, he has to be picking up minutes. But in that same vein, if his future is off the Brooklyn Nets, if you were trying to maximize his value, he can't be picking up DNPs or playing less than 20 minutes because then he loses value. Three assists per game over the month, over that month, uh, where he did have 18 and 21 minutes in there, a couple of four assist performances. I agree with you, by the way, that like you're seeing that next little phase of his game develop. Uh, it just comes down to does he fit, does he fit the thing that the Nets are now trying to do, Keith? Because whatever he is, you drink, you know, the question becomes, did Sean Marks draft him as the eventual for when this era ended with the superstars? Or was he meant to be a part of it? Because I think it does change how you approach utilizing him. Although I can see a path very easily that he fits into this team just as well in a different way than the previous iteration. Yeah, I think Sean Marks took the best available player with that pick, right? When I went back and watched his tape at LSU, I'm like, this kid is a scorer. He is a bucket and he's going to play. He made NBA history already. He just counted against himself with the comment after the game, like a kid you know, bringing some negative attention. I saw people say, oh, you get the toxic players out of Brooklyn and and now Cam Thomas. And I'm like, no, it's not that big of a deal. It'll blow over. But I I also think this, Jacques Vaughn has seen Cam from the time he entered the league till now. He knows what Cam is. He's still trying to get intel on Mikael Bridges, Cam Johnson, Dorian Finney-Smith. He's still trying to figure out his rotations. He's still trying to figure out who is who and what is what and how he can best deploy these guys to win games. Cam Thomas is attractive to any NBA team. He's instant offense. Uh, I think right now he's in the six man of the year type mold or role. Like we need you to come off the bench and score. You know, when guys are quiet or guys go cold and we need instant offense, when we can't get a shot, we're going to depend on you to create a shot. He's going to play, especially on this team now without Katie and Kyrie and without them on the floor, he shined three nights in a row. Uh, I, like I said, I think he counted against himself with the mistake he made in the postgame comments. And uh, even some people were mad with how he handled himself after he came back and played um, in that last game. He was just kind of short with the media. And I think that was him tightening up like, hey, I can't be too friendly or loose around you guys. I might 
make a mistake. And I'm, I'm not wild about and he ends up right. This is the guy we're talking about never smiling when it was Katie and Kyrie on the team. Ain't shit funny. I tried to buy one of those ain't shit funny shirts. It wouldn't take my money, Cam. Come on, bro. You're trying to sell merch. It's not even <laughs> letting me put my credit card information in. That's an, that's another L for you, bro. I was trying to give you some of that money back from that 40K that they popped you for. But, yeah, I expect him to play, and I expect him to be effective. Um, he's young, though, and that's what I keep saying. He's a second-year player. He's 21 years old. They know that they can do that to him. Jacques Vaughn is a former player veteran. He's putting respect on the veteran players first. Cam's just got to keep earning his stripes. It sucks as a young guy. He said, you'd be foolish to think I don't want to play in these NBA games. Everybody wants to play in these games. But uh, you ain't been around long enough to earn that yet. Keep keep showing up. And I hope that his mentality behind the scenes is right and that he's not frustrated. He learned a lot yeah. from Harden, his favorite player entering the league. He learned a lot from Kyrie, a Kobe disciple. Kobe was his favorite player. Harden was his favorite active player. He learned a lot from KD because they're both scorers and would compete. And uh, had a back and forth over, you know, as a rookie who was a better scorer in the league. Let's just hope he didn't learn the player empowerment, force my way out, be insubordinate from them. And hopefully a drafted player by the Nets stays here and becomes a star where we, you know, drafted him. Much in the way, like Nicholas Claxton in his fourth year, still just 23 years old. You mentioned Cam Thomas is 21. He won't be 22 until next October. So, you know, we talk about that, that development and growth. Hey, year over year looks dramatically different he's and gonna better be a star. This he's going to be a star <laughs> and by the way I, I think i don't know where you guys fell on it because when they first drafted him and then we'll, we'll wrap this one up if you're a locked on nets fan this is what they call uh, an ultra deluxe edition of the, of the podcast when we go completely off of our structure because uh, that's what happens when you have when you have a great conversation like this um w- when you think back to cam thomas and the pre-44 three point you know pr- three game performances when he was drafted, I was uh, same thing you did, Keith. You draft best player available. In the moment when they drafted him, I thought, I don't know if they really need this guy on this roster, right? But then you go and you watch and you get excited about it and you see what he can be. Fast forward, like the the world where everything since he was drafted, the best you could say was, well, in that Vegas summer league, he certainly showed up. There wasn't like enough of this sample size at the, the NBA Garden. level to suggest that he could do it. I always remember him killing the Knicks in Madison Square Garden and that last was, year. Right. And that was like, then you go, okay, there's a moment on a really big stage, but can you do this next thing? And this year you got those sample sizes. So I think, you know, if you're a Nets fan, practicing some patience is a really good thing. And it's hard to do because you're always looking for, well, what comes next? And then you lose all your superstars and what comes next? But patience with a player like this, I think does have payoff, whether it is with Brooklyn or as, you know, Hudson, we're talking, you know, somewhere else, whatever. The bottom line is this kid can be a player like that. I think my biggest question would be, I'll close out on, is he going to be a superstar in the league in the vein of a guy that can score a ton of points on bad teams? Or can he be a superstar talent when it matters most to winning critical basketball games? Those three performances, one win in those three games, they're all electric, high-volume shooting. It's awesome. But can you balance your game with other high-caliber players? Like, that's the next little phase for him. And I anticipate that he'll get there. Um, closing thoughts as we go around the horn. Uh, Robin, any uh, places that people need to know about you? I'm going to go ahead and say most people know about you. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, Sports Illustrated, check it out every day. Uh, I got a bunch of shows coming up on Sirius XM uh, this week, doing a show with Michelle Beadle tomorrow, uh, hosting for Mad Dog on Wednesday. Um, and obviously, Talking Nets here. As far as Talking Nets goes the, the rest of the year, look – 
I'm excited about this team. Um, I, I, you know, you don't want to get too far ahead. One of the things I like is that we're not getting too far ahead of ourselves. Like right. we're not sitting here working backwards from the championship, right? Like how do you get to the championship? You kind of can take it day by day, game by game, and, and watch this team develop and grow. And, and I do think this is a competitive team. Uh, I do think this is a team that if things went and broke every which way for them could win a playoff series, that, that kind of team. And, and, and we'll see where they wind up, but they also have the assets to make something happen in the summer going forward. So it's not all doom and gloom. The, the word you used earlier that I think is operative, it's, it's almost a relief. It, it almost feels like a, a relief and, and a, a renewed energy. So mm-hmm. um, yeah, everybody got to laugh and say, ha ha, it all fell apart. But I think for the most part, Nets fans are happier now than they were <laughs> just a couple of weeks ago. We knew it was going to end. I'm fine with how it ended. Hudson, anything for you? Yeah, uh, in terms of following me, I mean, yeah, certainly, you want definitely, yeah, you want people yeah, definitely, to know definitely, definitely follow Talking Nets. Uh, <laughs> bigger and better things always coming from us. It's always very exciting in this Nets community. This Nets world, as Keith said, is is built. So that's always been a lot of fun. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Hudson Flynn underscore. And in terms of a message to Nets fans, have fun. We're not always looking looking too far forward, right? We don't have to look forward to oh, these contracts are expiring, or oh, what's going to happen in the offseason? We have a fun team right now. And I don't think I need to say this because I think the Nets fans that have stuck around, the ones that are real Nets fans, I think they are committed to this team and committed to having fun this season because, and that Heat game really showed it to you, the reality is that the Nets are a team that nobody wants to play. Nobody wants to come up against the Nets. Going playing against the Nets, not going to be a good day. Too many good defenders, too many players that can randomly pop off for 45 points and embarrass your you know, contending team. So let's have fun with that. Let's have fun playing. Spoiler. I think that's a role that Brooklyn, this like, you know, the the borough, the the independent city, I think that's a role that everyone in, in that borough wants to be able to play. And I think we'll enjoy playing for the rest of this season. And when you look ahead, like Keith said, the cupboard is full and Sean Marks is willing and able to make those money moves. And we'll see what comes. But for now, enjoy the ride. Um, what I'd like to say is that the Nets were not winning a championship this year with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving and the team as it was. So when people tell you they're not winning a championship with the team as it is now, what's the difference? Like, that's why I said I'm fine with the way that it ended, because what would it have ended with this year? Like a first round exit and then uh, these guys, you know, forcing trades in the like it was it was a sinking ship. They underachieved as in Katie and Kyrie in the time that they had here. This will wear worse on them in their careers that's why they're already trying to rephrase things and paint different narratives about the league. And No, uh, Kyrie was booed in Utah at the All-Star game because NBA fans generally look at him as a team cancer, a team killer. KD is known as the guy that won't drive the bus. Win a real ring. Do it on your own. And now we don't have to do any of that with them anymore. Like the pressure is off of Nets fans and the Brooklyn Nets. Um, to deal with their sagas. They haven't won rings in a long time. They may never win a ring again. It's about locking back in on the organization and the culture, and uh, the future is bright for the Brooklyn Nets. We'll actually care about the draft that we host. Uh, We'll actually be able to root for guys that will show up and play like Mikael Bridges, who doesn't miss a game. And uh, it's more rewarding to see the team as we were seeing it, you know, build and and get to where they did. I mean, obviously they had the gentleman sweep against the Sixers, but we felt a sense of pride and ownership of the team. I didn't feel like we really owned the team. I feel like the superstars own the team 
and we were, you know, answering to whatever they really wanted. So Nets fans, there, there's way more of us than there was before Katie and Kyrie came here. So I will say that the Nets built this Nets world off of their backs, and we thank them for that. But we move on, and we look forward to the second half. We're opening up against the Bulls, who we already beat with this team. And then the push is to be better than we were at the end of the 2021-2022 season. And all the Nets have to do is not be a playing team that's already better. Or get into the play-in, get to the first round, and win one game. Don't get swept. And you've already achieved more than Katie and Kyrie did in their last year in Brooklyn. If you want to follow me, I'm not hard to find. But I, I, I think I hit my <laughs> max of followers. Uh, yeah, listen, when, when this all started off in the offseason, and I went for the journey of the great run of the month there that got us all kind of swept up in what could be this year. When Doug asked me, what do you expect for this team? While on paper, you could think about championships and all those things. I said, I have a sample size that says this will not be successful. Regardless of what you think it should be, it has not been successful. And that's why I think when Kyrie wasn't surprising when I said relief, when I was asked again after the Kevin Durant trade, I was surprised that I also felt additional relief. And everything that got communicated here, especially from a fan perspective, that's what I ended up saying after those trades. I grew up in New Jersey, still live in New Jersey, diehard Nets fan, and it's all right. The expectations change. They're going to shift. The timeline moves. But I do feel that energy around being able to be excited on a game-to-game basis to watch this team, watch players grow, and see what they can accomplish. It's a different type of vibe now, and it's one that I am, I'm refreshed to see how many Nets fans have been really dedicated to it. Gentlemen, this is a marathon for me. I'm going to take a nap after this. But the bottom line is Robin Lundberg, Hudson Flynn, nailed it going out the door. Keith McPherson, the Talking Nets crew. Obviously, go find these guys. You know them for their individual work. You can know them collectively on Talking Nets. All the links for every one of them individually and collectively will be in the description of this episode. And you know our deal. If you're over on YouTube, hit the subscribe button. We passed that 5,000 mark we were looking for. That's in the rear view. Now it's about 6,000 subscribers over there. Help us with that. Help us on the podcast feed. It's all free, and it makes us feel really warm and fuzzy inside. And as we always like to do, a little quote as we get out the door. It's an oldie. It's one that we've used before on the show. But my friends, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you could miss it. That is Ferris Bueller from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. We'll be back next time, friends, talking all things Brooklyn Nets basketball.